Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Flummer Building. As you'll now be spending your workday here, it is important that you learn a bit about the history of this famous floor. Welcome to Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, the daily podcast in which we squawk, bark and grunt our way through the film Being John Malkovich, one minute at a time. I'm your host, Austin Pryor, and joining me again today are Peter Crawley and Una Carney. Does it uh, feel good to be back? It does. It does. I'm getting used to the bump. And uh, how's the how's the moisture level where you're sitting there? Just as I like it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for attending to my needs. Good. <laughs> Today we look at minute 17 of being John Malkovich. Minute 17 starts with Lottie finishing her sentence about Elijah's acid stomach and ends one minute later with Craig continuing to lay the groundwork for his adulterous plans as he attempts to engage Maxine in office banter. Cool. So minute 17, how is it looking to you two? Uh, The first note I think that it strikes is this notion of um, uh, uh, psychoanalysis. And it kind of becomes... It becomes a running joke through being John Malkovich. It certainly seems to be a running joke through um, Charlie Kaufman's career. I still can't work out precisely what his depth of feeling is for psychoanalysis because yes. it seems to be a mostly generic plot point. So kind of like, you know, the, the, the uh, poor old Elijah's inadequate or feelings of inadequacy as a chimp. Mm-hmm. Can, like, how, how seriously are we to take this? And the idea that sort of eventually there's a repressed trauma underneath that needs to be confronted in order to have yeah. a breakthrough. And, um, and in the same way that kind of, and, and God, I envy the people who get to uh, be on the episode in which they take a tumble through John Malkovich's unconscious mind. But that even <laughs> sort of when that's, when that's referenced, there's a certain kind of um, formulaic vocabulary about the yes. psyche. Um, and it, and it kind of gets us where we need to go and it gets there fairly quickly, but there's a, there's a, an understandable triteness in sort of what's causality and it doesn't necessarily feel convincing. I wonder, is that kind of, is it, um, here's what I think about the time. Is it emblematic of like the late nineties, which was mm-hmm. maybe kind of fairly cynical, pretty sus, yes. a lot actually like Maxine's character as a character Definitely. for the late nineties. Um, I think it kind of, it probably panders a bit to that, you know, a little bit too educated, a little bit too knowing and, mm-hmm. uh, and caustic kind of by default. So honey, have you thought any more about us having a baby? Um, you know, I think it's just so tough right now, economically and all. Mm-hmm. That, that I think that maybe we should just wait and see if this job thing pays off. You know? The sequence has got probably what I what is the saddest line of the film, which is so honey, if you thought any more about us having a baby, yeah. which is everything about it, you know, like where it's placed in it, the way that um, um, uh, Cameron blocking. Diaz um, uh, announces it, yeah. the sort of like the little, you know, the passing regard in which he indulges the question and kind of fobs it off. Um, and... Um, and another kind of line that always struck me, let's wait and see how this job pays off. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it's, it's amazing. Yeah, 
Yeah, like yeah. I do. Yeah, because I do a job that... is such an alien, weird thing that I'm experimenting with, and I just need to see if it works. The is, idea, is, yeah. Is the idea of a job and income, and I'm not sure about it. You know, does gainful does gainful off. employment pay off? It's a it's a <laughs> it's a fundamental question to ask, even when it's tough economically. And yeah, it, yeah. it really, really wasn't tough economically in America at the time. Yes. This is an odd. Maybe this is more the way you see it if you're a kind of a um a, a self-employed puppeteer. But it mm-hmm. wasn't. It wasn't really kind of like you know the cold icy winds of uh, economic dilapidation at the time. It was the, the Clinton years. Exactly. This was this was the rah rah years. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of responses in, uh, to all of that because that, that's great. I mean, I think that the, the baby thing um, sort of reminds me of a note um, that came up earlier in relation to Maxine's character because um, in some ways I know that, you know, we, you, you were talking about whether she arcs and you were kind of saying she does arc and, and Peter was, was was sort of saying, well, it happens so quickly. Is it really an arc? And in yeah. some ways I think that it's a function of the structure of the story. So in some ways, because time passes kind of with the them in sort of real time at the start of the story but later on you know she's 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 pregnant and she spent time with John Malkovich mm-hmm. and there is that scene with the with the cot in the room with Maxine and sort of that's yeah. that's sort of being set up if you like in this line mm-hmm. which is that is the fundamental journey that changes you you know the idea that you're going to become a mother so in some ways yeah. I kind of feel like you can go either way, but we can buy that she does arc because she is profoundly becoming, a, you know, the the responsible person for for someone new, and that is the ultimate way to lose your selfishness. Parenthood is 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 the ultimate responsibility. Um, and in some ways, I mean, I I probably had a slightly different view when I watched this in the nineties with Lottie because I was probably like, uh, mm. who wants to have a baby? Who wants to have a kid? You know, it's like, yeah, like yeah. you know, I, at that time. So, but but I think looking back, in some ways. Um, you know, there is a sadness to it as well. You could, you know, mm. depending on how old you were watching it and sort of, um, but also it kind of raises the question about Craig's character, which is, I mean, I love that line. Does he actually say like, if this job thing pays off? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just wait and see if this whole job thing pays off. But of course, you know, we can we can sort of ha- we can poke fun at his character a little bit there. But also, of course, it's playing into his own sort of uh, lack of confidence in becoming a provider. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, if you talk to to guys who work in the arts, um, maybe both of you identify as such. But but you know, it, it's it's a real thing of how could I become a dad yes. if I'm going to do my art? You know, so we we yeah. we could. We can give, we can, we can throw him an, a bone here. I think. Um, I mean, there's the Maxine thing too, but, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, in terms of being hesitant to, you know, bring a child into this world and all of that, and even the kind of, I mean, they're they're both very much playing to type, right? Gender-wise here, right? And it's almost the script is written for them in this case. But even reading it as reality for a second, seeing Craig's hesitance is very, you know, it's understandable, it's relatable, but it's just, it's the way this conversation is conducted. Absolutely. Just the, the, mm. the, the marriage counselor in me is just like, guys, guys, sit down, make some time to talk about this, share feelings as well as, the, like, they never get past the logistical layer of 
you know, let's see if the job thing pays off. What is even that? What does that mean? But you know, but they're so confined. So this is this is why the confinement kind of yes, is so is so mirrored in their in their conversation, and like they're they're not just playing to type into which is to say sort of into particular gender types. They're playing to particular life stages. Like they are yes. these are the things mm-hmm. you're supposed to have, supposed mm-hmm. to want. You're at this stage of your life. You're living together. You're a couple. You're supposed to have this job thing you know you're supposed to want and have this baby and Mm -hmm. the and when every sign is i mean like my sympathy for lottie is 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 far greater now than i think it was when i saw the film first yeah but that but it's it's not so much you know that she has a great desire for a child that he doesn't reciprocate it's that she thinks she ought to want a child with this guy you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and very much you should you should feel Lottie, honey, you know, get get over it. Look, look at this. <laughs> you're you're trapped in this cage. You yeah. need to you need mm-hmm. to be able to spring yourself from it. And so the and the quick peck and the fast retreat, oh, uh, which is gosh. which is so well filmed. It's just such yeah. a blink yeah. and a, you miss mm-hmm. it. But it's um, it's it kind of just has everything. Again, it's like it's it's passionless. There's no desire. It's accommodation, and that's the slow, suffocating death. There is some affection there, or maybe the the echoes of previous affection. The, yeah, it, but the support it, it has, is mostly on her side, right? Like yes. she she is endlessly supportive of this sad sack. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, maybe you know, maybe get out of job and try and, or maybe get out of bed and try and find a job. She's remember she's the she's the one who supplies the female vocals to Eloise and Abelard. She's obviously right. supporting the work, you know. Yeah. Mm. She is. Mm. She supports his avenging. To to quote mm. from another classic uh, of film. Um, <laughs> but she but so so she's there to prop up this damaged ego, you know, which is looking to adhere itself to anything that gives it a, another jolt, and it's at the expense of herself. You know, all she can do is, 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 you know, write the clues to what she thinks her future ought to be mega, mega large with this, you know, nursery of animals. And then to sort of present the the question like it's a, have you remembered to take the bins out kind of inquiry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, When they're facing away from each other, both doing separate domestic tasks. Exactly, exactly. What I love about the moment is the the, uh, element of, real world chaos and unpredictability that uh, that an animal even a well-trained uh, you know movie star animal like Elijah here brings into it because Elijah happens to be holding Craig's hand at the moment that he receives that question uh-huh. and he's being drawn into that moment more than he would like to be and it just plays out so perfectly and he has to pointedly withdraw himself from Elijah and go back to his task and then with the comfort of not facing Lottie go on to answer the question with this bullshit fob off um so it just it plays out uh perfectly like that and then and which just brings me to the kind of chaos of the animals in general this Mm. is like there's this amazing interaction on the floor between uh the chimp and the dog which presumably was not planned or you know uh because I wasn't able to find much um, information about the animal training and the animal filming parts of the movie uh, because there's so many other elements. And uh, 
but it, it seems to be that they uh, these two actors obviously spent a lot of time getting getting comfortable with these animals and the animal trainer presumably is just off camera and there's they can play their scene and there are these little very domestic you know quotidian little interjections of no no uh, sit down or do you mm-hmm. want to do some dishes with me and all of this and um and craig is is in character w- with these interactions with the chimp and and lottie's in character and some of them are probably you know were worked out on the day and some of them just happened mm. and um it's just it it just makes it feel so real and i i never uh, really questioned uh, how they arrived at all this in my years of watching the movie until i'm you know breaking it down and then just just for sheer giggles, the way the uh, Elijah's just being quite nasty, the dog and and grabbing his leg and kind of pushing him down and has to be taken away. The, Elijah's just kind of using the dog as like a plaything here, you know, and just being quite mean. And the dog is just kind of going along with it. It's just amazing. It's, you know, wow. So the psychoanalysis of the of the, the pet interactions are, are playing into the scene. Mm. But, it, you know, also just the feat of filmmaking, because I hadn't, you know, paid attention to that degree. And it's true, even in um, even in the a couple of the singles on um, on Craig, you see Elijah in the background, you know, so they didn't, you yes. know, you, you, they could have cut that from an angle to just have the, the chimp on the wide, <laughs> but they actually, yeah, yeah, you know, they, exactly. they, did it, they did it a number of times. And, and again, I've never worked with a chimp. I have worked with a dog once. Um, and it is amazing what those creatures can do on a film set, but mm-hmm. still it does feel like an achievement to have two creatures because the creatures are then reacting to each other in a way that none of us can know what the hell really is going <laughs> yeah, on there. Exactly. And as you said, they took direction really well. And, and created this whole other sort of subtext. Um, but in some ways, how we're opening up the Craig and Lottie relationship is really easy, and in some, or, or, sorry, is really interesting. In, in sort of, you know, in that sense of, um, you know, I, I like the way it's sort of the, the we've swung it towards being much more kind of sympathetic to, to, to Lottie. But in some ways, mm-hmm. I kind of wonder, like, what is their relationship and who is being trapped by who? Because in some ways, you could say, okay, when we meet it at the moment, he's clearly not making money, so she is. Mm. It seems the breadwinner and it's sort of um but but let's say that like her life it's about the passion in her life i think is animals i mean yeah like maxine becomes a whole other passion about self-realization and desire for herself but she does have a passion and i think it's the animals so and let's assume that craig has a passion which is puppetry and you know i can Mm. totally understand that at the start of your lives two people come together and they have their dreams and i want to live with all the animals and i want to make puppets let's do it together we love each other let's support each other and her Mm, her 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 world is kind of working in a sort of slightly dysfunctional way maybe because they don't seem to have a life outside of the animals you know they you know they, there's literally birds in their hair and um yeah. so there's no space for intimacy without the animals and that's maybe a little bit on her but he doesn't his his passion isn't isn't being realized at all and that means he's going to start to feel more and more um, inadequate so in some ways their relationship is sort of a little bit um doomed but actually maybe there's because i was wondering what is the start like when did these two people meet how did they see each other and until mm. now i've never mm. thought maybe they really respected each other's passions <laughs> yeah um there are little clues to that in the first draft but of course the first draft is the first draft we don't we don't have to go on that as you know canon in any way but Mm. yeah it's in the first draft the the um third act is radically different and like 
way wilder than anything in this movie it's it's just nutty but uh at that stage when when uh, lottie goes all in for you know getting into the malkovich vessel and 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 being with maxine that way she is like um she's like fuck the animals i'm done with them yeah. and um you you always hated the animals and and you know craig kind of doesn't deny it and um uh, which it's actually really makes me think of uh, Chris Cooper's character in in adaptation mm -hmm. when he's obsessed with tropical fish and then and then one day fuck fish done with fish mm -hmm. um, and it's just uh, <clears throat> so uh, maybe the concept was that um, it's Lottie's thing where she needs to have a thing a gimmick something mm -hmm. that is I, I'm I'm the person who is into animals it's her accessory it's her way of of uh, it's it's a, a vain bid at self-actualization you know um, but I think in the movie uh, we we see real love for the animals and I think it's unfair in the movie uh, as we see it, to to dismiss Lottie's thing with the animals so much, she no, seems to have a real love. She, but she's, but it's it kind of, and you know, you'll you'll hate this for sounding so sort of gender normative, but it's <laughs> that she's, but that she's decide that she is defined at this point by a certain want of nurture or to nurture that kind of she's looking after, particularly this psychologically damaged chimpanzee, yep. you know, like, you know, educating a parrot to whatever degree is possible <laughs> and, um, you know, literally hurting cats. Um, uh, but she is a nurturer. She's looking after Craig. She's become yes. this kind of rock of sort of support and gentle encouragement. And she believes that she will be fulfilled it seems by this want, you know, to have a family in the very kind of conventional sense. Um, and then the movie's final irony is that sort of this, you know, fairly gender to begin with, gender conformist, you know, would be mother is going to end up a great father. Yeah. <laughs> so we have uh, some differences here in the script on on this one. There's a whole um, scene that was in uh, the first draft where Peter and Gloria come to visit. Uh, these are friends same kind of age so the scene that we see here of uh the schwartz's at home was in the first draft them preparing for visitors coming over where they would have dinner with them and it's just this very awkward it could be made funny it's not it's not gold interior craig and lottie's living room night the dining room table is set up craig and lottie and their friends peter and gloria are seated and eating dinner there's an obvious lull in conversation so peter says Good food, Lottie. Thanks. Craig helped too, by the way. Vegetarian, right? And Lottie says, yes, all vegetable, all the time. Peter says, amazing. There is another lull. Everyone eats. Peter says, no kidding about that seven and a half floor, Craig. Craig says, no kidding, Peter. Gloria says, that's great. It almost sounds like make-believe. Beat. Like a storybook. Beat. Like a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Beat. It's really great, beat. So, Lottie, when you say all vegetable, do you mean all vegetables entirely? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then there's a brief scene where um, Peter and Gloria. Weirdly, the, the the film follows Peter and Gloria as they go home in their own car, and that's where we get the um, the Eskimos and the number of words for snow they have. So it's like Gloria says, Lottie told me that Eskimos have a lot of words for snow. How many? 10 I think <laughs> I wonder why so many 
because they have a lot of snow. Isn't that interesting? Um, so it, it is, it's kind of, it's, it's just, you can see how they transferred the kind of awkwardness and, and long silences of a dinner table mm. to, to two other scenes, to the, to the Maxine dinner scene and mm. then the Lester dinner scene. So, so we really didn't need it. And it, and it, uh, you know, brings Gloria and Peter in as well. But w- what did you two think? So um, again, excellent cut. <laughs> a, a, a totally, a totally dispensable moment. Um, in in the same way that we were talking about what was omitted from um, yesterday's minute, the the removal of that makes a much stronger piece because it doesn't draw attention to Kaufman's own self reference. Mm-hmm. So kind of like you know, almost like a fairy tale beat, you know, almost yeah, like a storybook yeah. beat. You know, the 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 so much of the wonder and amusement and just kind of conviction of the film is how readily people do accept something yes. completely <laughs> implausible. You know, yeah. it's yeah. sort of like, like, okay, okay, there's a seven and a half floor <clears throat> and now we don't really need to mention it ever again because it's just <laughs> that's the world that we live in. You know, yeah. sure, you've discovered a, a portal that goes into the head of the actor, John Malkovich. And now, you know, it's it's the yes and approach to building this world of absurdity. Yeah. When you start to reference it again then you're then what are you doing now you're actually probably indulging in in probably the the more egregious part of late 90s um uh uh culture self-reference self-reference mm-hmm. i you know a, a kind of an overstated irony a sort yes. of like you know a shrugging cynicism yeah that's cool you yeah. don't need it and um and again the 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 film i think has lost weight that it could afford to lose by making that Absolutely. kind of mission yeah. also it's so heartbreaking when Lottie dispenses that line about Eskimos with their 50 witches. <laughs> yeah. No, as these the sort of soul fascinating, fascinating, scintillating bit of conversation that she has in her arsenal, and yeah. it makes you simultaneously kind of cringe and love her more. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. I think the, the 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 sort of editing out of the commentary is is really helpful for. Um, yeah, allowing us to feel because I guess it's, I mean, you know, I know you're a big fan, Austin, of, of all of his work but um, I think that the, the balance when it's working is when we're really yeah. curious and feeling for the characters and how they're relating to each other and enjoying the cleverness every now and then but it not kind of and, and that's the perfect example where um, where it's sort of, yeah, you regress when you think you're progressing <laughs> as a thinker mm-hmm. and a writer. Charlie Kaufman definitely can go to to Kaufman and um, and I wouldn't be like an unreserved fan of of everything he's ever done. But what does surprise me sometimes is just how far I can be taken along mm-hmm. with him. Like I I was watching Synecdoche, New York, in mm-hmm. you know in the cinema when it first came out. Lots of my friends were at the same screening, and I think everybody was sitting there going, "I actually love this," but I bet everybody else hated mm-hmm. it. And we all we all chatted about it in, in the pub afterwards, and everyone was like. So you like to, t- yeah, you like, oh, no way. No, we all, so, because for all the kind of difficulty of it and the laborious, uh, you know, dragging you through this absurd misery, there is an entertainment value. And uh, I definitely think that in being John Malkovich, his best instincts are strengthened and his worst instincts are, are, are lessened. But I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed the self-indulgent going completely his own way of synecdoche new york uh, yeah. i haven't i haven't gone back to watch it again <laughs> you know i i have 
I haven't really, and I'm surprised because I feel I felt exactly the same way you did initially about Synecdoche, New York. I felt, well, I'm loving it, but I know that everybody else is going to dislike it. Yeah. And so it was kind of a revelation that so many people I knew also liked it. But yeah. enough people that I knew didn't like it. And it was a very divisive film, you know? Yeah. But yeah. you're but you're totally right on it's, you know, it's um it's Kaufman Kaufman. Um, mm-hmm. And the and the I watch being John Malkovich more and more with an alertness to what Spike Jones's comp- yes. collaboration, yes. unsung hero of this movie. Yeah, and and yeah. the funny thing is, how often do we talk about the person who's first filled? I- and you know, and credited with directing a movie gets underappreciated it's in the crazy. creation of it. And I'm, mm. and and the more and more I'm watching it, watching it recently for the uh, the joy of watching it recently for appearing on this podcast, I realized that I was attuned to different elements of his filmmaking that I had sort of been before. Whereas the fr- I think on my first viewing. I always sort of saw him as the gimmicky bastards, the the Mantini, <laughs> the Mantini of the movie making, who yeah. was way more about the jokes, so you know the references and the infomercials and the fake documentaries and the sort of like yeah. the 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 stylistic bits. And now I'm inclined to look at it and go, there's there's a reason beyond casting good actors in these roles yep. that these performances are so mm. perfectly toned. Just like mm. you know, like like this can that can't come from the script alone. Mm. That can of course Jones and Kaufman conspire to remove all kind of you know presence of a director when um, being John Malkovich is direct is uh, uh, referenced in adaptation. But it kind of only draws attention to the fact that Spike Jones had a much more nuanced, much more human, much more felt kind of investment in the film, working with, you know, both actors and animals, as we've discussed, (laughs) to kind of get this, first of all, to convince them before they convince us of the plausibility of this implausible world Mm. and then to sort of knead and massage every subsequent event into something that's both kind of comprehensible and that arouses your emotional connection. So I I think kind of a belated recognition of the maturity of Spike Jones as a filmmaker is probably is probably my personal revelation. It's what I'm seeing more of. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I I agree. I mean, in in the sense that um, it's actually what makes the film work, you know, the, the, the performances and watching it again as it did the other night, like I was astonished by them because even, even, even as she's written and we like it, um, the Catherine Keener character, she's so completely embodying that character. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? She's, um, mm-hmm. and, and Craig is too, and sort of so, um, it would be so easy for any one of them to drop that a little bit and and play, just allow us to feel like they're playing themselves, particularly John Malkovich. You almost feel like there was a yes. manifesto that went with going onto this set, which was, you know, 100% for real embodied live moment for moment. Yeah. We're doing, you know, we're doing super Italian realism here. <laughs> and that's the rule of the book. And that's kind of why all the craziness works, you know? And I think you're right yes. to attribute that I mean great cast but also uh, Jones for sort of having the confidence to to maintain that because you know actors do like to try things out and and, and you know lots of them would have great comedy chops there as well and the comedy yes. is so great because it is in the spaces between and again weirdly mm-hmm. that's probably why Jones isn't getting the, the, the same maybe attention because it brings it back to the power of the script <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. um, so um, 
it's not about these glowing silences for kind of minutes directorial vision it's actually about making the crazy vision work um yeah he he has so few signature moments there's the two documentaries the mm. seven and a half floor orientation video and the arts and culture mm. um you know exposition dump uh, later in the movie and then the very audacious trip through Malkovich's subconscious and of course the Malkovich Malkovich scene with all the Malkoviches mm. then a maybe touch of the romance at the very end of the film where it's it's just this gorgeous underwater photography and that's kind of it for those signature directorial moments so a, a guy who has a background in music videos and fast cuts and MTV and TV commercials he has no business being this good at directing mm -hmm. actors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he is, every time I look at the performances, some, some moments in this just make me laugh every time I watch the minute for research. And they're just so spot on. And, and mm. yeah, Spike Jones has just like, I, I, I really do think the unsung hero is such a strange thing to say for somebody who's the director. This is it, but but also kind of somebody who inspires confidence mm. among that cast. You know, somebody yeah. who makes them comfortable to accept it, to play with it, and to sort of and to and to reach an equilibrium with each other around it. Mm. Like I think that's 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 a level of um, uh, maturity, um, inspiration, insight. Um, I, I guess kind of the problem is you just can't get close to the detail of it. I, I guess mm -hmm. it's un, un, unless Austin, you have the detail of of his process, what he was with the like actors. on the set, what the calls yeah, were like, it, how he pitched it. You know, the 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 general sense that you make these things with a limited amount of time and not kind yes. of an awful lot of time to explore, and really the blind trust and faith that you have to push into a director, a cinematographer, mm -hmm. and an editor, that they're going to present all of this in the way that's been, that's been projected, that's been advertised in advance. Well, the, the light cast on the process, uh, such as it is, comes from the Lance Bangs filmed background material that's on the various Blu-rays and stuff that have been released over the years. They actually have a conspicuous lack of the actual acting in mm. them and and Lance mm. Bangs even complains in the movie that he didn't have any access to uh, the scenes being made and the actors working and I guess that points to a vacuum <laughs> of information which I suppose points to the fact that Jones has a degree of reverence and respect for that process and he didn't mm. want somebody else filming in there and it's that footage that Lance Bangs filmed during the production that was used later in adaptation. Okay. Okay. I'm afraid we're going to lose you again, folks, so I don't know where you're going to get spat out this time, but uh, hopefully it'll be a reasonably soft landing. Are you willing to come back tomorrow? Try it all again? <laughs> yeah, we'll give it a shot. Good, good, good. Absolutely. All right. <laughs>